0: Retro Hangover is supported via Patreon by listeners like you. We would especially like to thank patrons Lyle McCarns, Ashton Ruby, Randall Quiggle, Tony G, Katie Quig, Paul Romalo, Raging Demon JC, Megan Caruso, Masked Keaton, Andrew Liguori, Retro Overdrive, Ozzy Garcia, The Retro Vixen, Keith Gasper, and Chimera. Your continued engagement and generous donations are deeply appreciated.
1: Open your ears and crack some beers. You are listening to the latest episode of Retro Hangover.
0: we slyly slither singing surprises of sinful snakes superfluously, this is Retro Hangover. I am your co-host, Chris Copleen, with special guest Willie from the Grand Rapidians Play Video Games Podcast, and, as always, your host, Shane. Riding Ruffian Dick Dragon!
1: You know, usually I have like a a, a a witticism to throw after this one, but I, I I don't I don't have anything today. I'm at a loss for words, which is unusual. Uh, I I am also yeah. at a loss for words, which is very unusual because I can keep going. Well, great. <laughs> Podcast <laughs>
2: over. Willie, are you at a loss for words? I I think Ginger heard that Dick Dragon through my headphones. Yeah. I heard her giggling <laughs> in the background. That's not surprising. <laughs> No.
0: Uh, it's nice to have you um, back on the show, Willie. Absolute pleasure.
2: Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure to
0: be here. No, yeah. especially with your pedigree that we'll get into on the personal experiences when we get past the brief history, because I think we can't have a better guest for this episode, at least in my opinion. I think you
1: are the best one. Unless, of course, I just straight up spoil it in the show notes, which I, I might do. So. <laughs>
2: but go ahead. Keep being cagey about it. It's fine. Cagey. It's one of those weird, quirky games that I just really got into when it was finally available here.
0: Mm. But as we are want to do Uh, before we get kicked off into discussing this game, because I really think that we can just get into and start talking about this one because uh, it is so interesting. But we do have to talk about what we have been playing lately. Willie, as our guest, would you please talk about, you know, what's been going on? What have you been playing, man?
2: So I've been going in between my Switch and my Xbox. I picked up Elden Ring close to two weeks ago. But then I went and worked out of town and I couldn't bring my Xbox with me. So I got in like five hours one weekend and 15 hours the next weekend. And I've beaten a side boss, but I still haven't beaten like the first boss on the main story. I still haven't figured out summons. I've got so much to do to be able to even figure out this game. 20 hours in <laughs>
1: yeah i was gonna mm-hmm. say like 15 or 20
2: hours I'm like that's that's like the tutorial yeah i'm getting through the tutorial <laughs> but i also have been playing uh the switch sports i brought my Wii or my switch up with me and a casual gamer friend i was working up north with we played a lot of bowling we played a lot of one two switch and that's what i've been playing that's what you do
1: is the bowling as good as Wii sports bowling good question
2: I don't think it's as good as Wii Sports Bowling. Mm. The obstacle special bowling courses are better. Gotcha. But the normal bowling, I don't think the spin works quite as well Uh, with the Switch controller as it did with the Wii controller. That's a bummer. It's still fun. It's still doable, but not quite as good. That sucks. Nobody can top Wii
1: Sports. Dude, never. Actually, I just remembered we had an episode about that. Man, that was a while ago.
2: Yeah. We should do Wii Sports Resort just to give us an excuse to play it again. (laughs) There you go. Do the PlayStation one with bocce ball. That one's fun. PlayStation one. PlayStation move.
0: Oh, okay. I should have bought that when it was like $3, but then the VR became popular and now it's like $50, $60 to get a move. I'm not happy about it.
1: No, that's a bummer. All right. How about you, Shane? What have you been playing? Oh, me. Well, uh, actually, it's it's been a, a little bit of a, a smattering of stuff, as a matter of fact. So the very first latter season for Diablo II Resurrected is currently underway. So I rolled up a new character for that. Um, it also kind of coincided with a fairly significant patch that they put out that finally did some much needed skill rebalancing for pretty much every class in the game, something that hadn't really been done for many many years, and uh, in my opinion was needed. So it opened up some some new character builds, made them a little bit more viable. And so for the latter season, I'm trying out a Phoenix Strike Assassin because um, usually assassins are pretty much relegated to just doing trap builds, and that's about it. So this is a nice change of pace, uh, which is pretty cool. So I've been Kind of plinking away at that uh, i've also been playing a game called the evoland which has been around for a while and it's always something that's kind of interested me but i've never really just you know went for it and picked it up and the legendary edition was on sale recently on steam which includes both evoland one and two uh so i decided to pick that up finally and I'm playing through the first one. The, the basic conceit, if you're not familiar with it, is it is a game that quite literally as you play through it, like evolves through the ages of video games. So like you start the game and it looks like a Game Boy game. And then as you progress through the game, like more things get added on, like all of a sudden now you have like, you know, 16 bit color and now you have, you know, sound effects and then you have like high def graphics, and then it in- introduces like new mechanics and things like that. It, it, it's actually a really neat concept. It's it's a little rough around the edges. I'm not gonna lie, and I will do an RFR on both of these um, for those patrons who want to hear some of that extra content. Um, but you know, for for the money, I think it was only like a few bucks on sale anyway. Um, it's it's not been that. it's been enjoyable been having fun with that and let's see what else are anything else going on right now i think those are the two big ones oh well i finally jumped back into elden ring now that willie mentioned that (laughs) it's been like three weeks since i played
2: Well, better start over (laughs) yeah Uh...
1: well fortunately i didn't hit that point yet where you go you kind of like just gandalf it and you're just like i have no memory of this place uh i'm not quite there yet fortunately so I kind of just jumped back into exploring Altus Plateau. That's where I'm at right now. Um, Going into like the, the capital city. So I'm still plunking away at that. I'm like, what close to a hundred hours logged. I think on that game now, nope, over (laughs) 101 and change according to steam. So
2: I still like hear people talk about locations they're exploring and like, I still look at articles that are, Oh, you know, what's a good build or where to do this or where to do that in Elden ring, mm-hmm. but none of the locations or words really mean anything. Even after 20 <laughs> hours of playing, I'm just like, okay, this is something. Yeah. Yeah. I know the, the map's huge
1: for sure. Um, and I still got a lot of exploring to do. So, uh, <sighs> I think they said, like, the the the, the average playtime or something was between 100 and 150 hours, I think, for most people. So definitely a time investment. But I think that's the majority of it. I, I kind of started playing No Man's Sky because a buddy of mine bought me a copy of it. But I've only got about an hour into it. And there's a there, there's a whole lot going on in that game. That's that's going to take <laughs> me a minute to figure out. <laughs> nice. Um yeah that's that's me for right now man uh so what about you chris what's been keeping you busy so i'm progressing on my uh very
0: self-absorbed named a year of final fantasies Mm, yes which is me trying to play all the final fantasy and east games that i can this year and in doing so i have beaten the final fantasy 6 pixel remaster which i found quite good and of course i did a full not so rapid fire review of it for our patrons for the extra content. So check that out. I'm quite proud of that. It uh, goes a very brisk uh, 20 minutes, expanding on when it was like five to eight. So enjoy. Um, <laughs> I don't know why I said that. Uh, the <sighs> other game uh, beyond that is East 4 Mask of the Sun. Uh, it's not good. Oh, I, I think that's the best way to put it. Great. East 4 Dawn of East for the PC Engine CD. I played a fan sub of that. It was excellent. I loved it. So this is not the same game, but the same game for the Super Famicom. It's an entirely different game, but they're still called East4 for some reason. I'm also playing it emulated because it's a fan sub. And it's just. I don't know how to put it. Um <laughs> bad. Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, maybe it's the controller. I thought it was the controller I was using because I have this Retrobit uh, Super Nintendo clone that I was using at first, and I just thought it was really stiff. So I swapped over to a Sega Genesis controller, uh, the, the Retrobit Sega Genesis controller, and then it just, it still didn't control quite right. And it's just, I don't know. If, if you're doing what I'm doing, and I don't recommend you do, and playing <laughs> through all these games, uh, you can skip East for Mask of the Sun. I'm just going to beat it because it's a short game. I think I have about an hour left in it before I beat it. But um, there's just so many problems with it. I could understand people hating Bump Combat after this game. If especially if if you didn't like Bump Combat in East Book One and Two, you're going to take your controller and throw it through a window if you try playing this game. It's <laughs> avoid it uh the the plot's terrible the music is and the music's okay the graphics are nah, and uh the the control is absolutely abysmal so um that's that's what i've been playing i i think i'm going to try to play something good next <laughs> uh because i i need a palate cleanser because the uh Eden chronicle rising game came out on the xbox series x so i'm looking to tackle that because I'm a backer of that game and I, I got a download code for it. So it's not a game pass thing and you can't play it on game pass, but I own it forever. Well, and or until my hard drive dies. And uh, so I think I'm going to take the opportunity to play that before the main game comes out.
1: And it seems so I look like forward to that. I don't know. It seems like just through vicariously experiencing these games through you. It seems like the, the East series is like incredibly hit or miss. No, no pun
2: intended. East does not sound like it's for me.
1: I would say that's incredibly fair.
0: I think I've played some very, very good games, some just above average, two good games, and then this one. Huh. So generally speaking, they are above average good games. This is the first one I've played, which is just... no, just huh. absolutely not.
1: There you go. That's your rapid fire review. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, I suppose we probably ought to start talking about the thing that we're all here for today, which in case you somehow managed to start listening to this episode and did not read the title, um, congratulations, that's actually impressive. Uh, It is in fact Sin and Punishment for the Nintendo 64 gaming console. And here to tell you a little bit of history about Sin and Punishment is Chris. So Chris, please take it away.
0: Few game developers in gaming history are known for making quirky, unique, gimmicky games as much as Treasure is. Always looking to expand or have a different angle at creating games within their era, Treasure had long been known to create quality experiences outside the norm of gamer expectations. This approach to game design finally caught the attention of Nintendo in 1997. After long working with Sega for most of their library, Treasure would team up with Nintendo's R&D1 to create a game for the N64. What they would come up with would end up being one of the most notable cult classics for Nintendo's 64-bit entry, Sin and Punishment. In 1997, Treasure pitched an on rail shooter inspired by the design of the N64's tripod controller. After the N64 launched, Nintendo had tried to pitch the versatility of the controller, showing various ways of holding it from a left and right position. However, due to Mario 64's immense popularity, most developers and gamers gravitated towards using the right position, having the left position, with the D pad and the L button, largely underutilized. Treasure wanted to make a game that took advantage of holding the controller in the left position. As Nintendo saw how the controller was being used for most gaming experiences, they advised Treasure against such a philosophy. Treasure, being Treasure, acknowledged that it could feel unnatural, but went ahead with the game anyway. Early development would be rough, only having what would basically amount to a skeleton crew of four team members. Radiant Silver Gun alums Atsumoto Nakagawa, head programmer, and Yasushi Suzuki, character and enemy designer, as well as Nintendo's Hitoshi Yamagami. This small team wouldn't last forever as the time the game was being readied for release in 2000, as the staff would have more members on their team than any other game Treasure had previously developed. As with many games that spend a long time in development, Sin and Punishment had its issues. First of all, Yamagami had difficulty adjusting to Treasure's culture. Whenever he would establish deadlines, Treasure's staff would usually blow him off. When playing an early prototype for the game, Yamagami said that while the game was fun, it was too difficult. Treasure development staff responded, in true Dark Souls superfan fashion, that if he was not skilled enough to play the game, he shouldn't be the one to supervise development. While high difficulty was part of the identity of Treasure games, a back and forth ensued between them and Nintendo that would eventually lead to the overall treacherousness being reduced. On November 21st, 2000, near the end of the N64's lifespan, Sin and Punishment was released in Japan. Well, not an outright flop the game would only go on to sell 100,000 copies in its home nation. While Nintendo would tease a potential 2001 release of the game in North America, it was never officially demoed or shown off. However, the Western press still managed to review the game for its import-minded audience, largely giving it positive reviews and firmly entrenching its cult status. While it's hard to say Sin & Punishment is a stalwart franchise for the big N, it did eventually receive a sequel on the Wii less than a decade later. Additionally, it has gone on to be considered one of the best rail shooters of its generation, despite its awkward controls, perhaps due to the ability to customize them in the releases for the Wii and Wii U virtual consoles. While the future of the series may have no star successors, it maintains a loyal following to this day. And that is your brief history of sin and punishment.
1: Thank you, Chris, for that brief history. I, uh, I, I see what you did there at the end. Very clever. There we are. Also, can you just imagine the like cajones on those guys to just be like, well, maybe if you suck at our game, you shouldn't be leading things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, bro. Get good. <laughs> get good, scrub. <laughs> oh, my God. When I read that, I just lost it.
2: <laughs> if it made him add easy mode, then I'm glad he did it. Yeah, yeah, no kidding.
0: Oh, my God, yes. <laughs> By the way, shout out to the people who care. I'm drinking Budweiser Select today. Uh, so uh, that that was the beer on sale.
2: Oh, there you cheers. Up. I've got a hams. That was the cheap beer for me.
0: Hell yeah, brother. <laughs> All right, let's get in this episode. Let's tear this wide open. And you know what? Usually we start with the person with the most amount of experience with this game last. But we got to we got to open this up and just let everybody know. Uh, what's so special about you being your wheeling Not that we wouldn't mind you on here anyway. I think you just having you here is great. But you have to give your personal experience with this game because I think that's just that's super interesting. So, Willie, go ahead and take it.
2: Okay, so when this game came out on the Wii Virtual Console, I was a referee at Twin Galaxies, and I specialized in setting up quirky games for the Wii, the Game Boy Advance, and the Nintendo DS. And so this was a day one purchase for me, and I fell in love with it. And I set up courses to track high score and fastest completion. And with this game, like when you play on a higher difficulty, you can score more. There was no need to set up different variations. It was just a fastest completion and a uh, high score. And then after I set up the course, I have played it every day after work, once or twice, all the way through the game, until I could beat it on easy without dying, just to get the continuous bonus. But it was such a unique, like, run-and-gun, not dual-shooter, but like a first-person run-and-gun. A fancy version of the Contra stages that everybody loves, you know? Mm -hmm. After about two months of practice, I set the world record for fastest completion and high score in one run saved the earth, mailed off a VHS cassette tape of the run to another referee for them to verify. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. That's how we did it back then. That record still holds to this day, correct? Yeah, last time I looked, the record was still up. It's verified by Twin Galaxies and Guinness, so it counts as a world record, even though the game had online leaderboards where I was like thousands of places down. Hmm. So... I'm not really the best in the world at this. I was just the only person to have it verified by this body of record verifiers. So you are the official record holder. then. Yes. According to Guinness and Twin Galaxies, I am the official record holder. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's still cool as hell. Like, I don't, I don't care about what the leaderboards say. Like you've got like (laughs) official verification. (laughs) Right. I think I even got them to publish that in one of the Guinness world record gamers editions. Nice. There were a few editions where they let us pick, like, which two records we wanted published in the high score table in the back. That's awesome. Uh-huh. This was all records that you got on the Wii, or is it the Wii and Wii U? These were all on the Wii, running through a VCR to my tube TV. That's still, that's, that's amazing, man. That's so cool, man. You had to play with the classic controller on the Wii, so that's my preferred one. Have you, have you been able to duplicate any of that success when you moved over to the Wii U?
0: Or have you even tried it on the Wii U?
2: Well, I transferred all my Wii information over to my Wii U, so then I kick my Wii U into Wii mode, and it's still the Wii Virtual Console version running on the Wii U currently. Okay. Yeah, yeah I know what you mean. I haven't downloaded much um, Virtual Console Wii U stuff because I had it all on
0: the Wii. Right. If you do want to, though, you have, like, what, a week? week left do you want to use your credit card and then you have a year left before it goes away forever so
1: yeah it's like less than a week at the time of recording this actually yeah
2: yeah i i have it disconnected because we're moving tomorrow so oh well i miss out i've got <laughs> eight nine pages of Wii virtual console stuff so i got all the turbo 16 stuff that i could want hell yeah all right So
0: there's the interesting story. Uh, I'm just going to say I've heard of this game and then I played it for
1: this episode. There's my personal experience. Shane. Wow. All right. We just the the personal experience section just dove off a fucking cliff. And then I guess we'll do a bounce at the end and hit the rocks because like I I mean, it was listen, it was a fucking Japanese exclusive from like 2000. Like, how the fuck was I supposed to know about this? I've never heard of this game ever until until y'all brought it up
2: yeah and you, if you were into virtual console back when it came out 12 years ago it was big news in the virtual console world
1: yeah coincidentally that was not me so <laughs> i had no idea this even was a thing i didn't know it had a sequel so when chris was just like yeah we're going to do an episode on sin and punishment i'm like that sounds real heavy like what I don't, what is that is that like a is that like a novel Like, are we are we pivoting? It's the new wisdom tree game. Oh, (laughs) great. The new Bible Adventures. I mean, that's it, man. Like, I knew nothing about this. I went into it blind and Chris was just like, hey, you can play it on the Wii U. And I was like, cool. And so I bought it. And here we are. That's my story.
0: Yep. I am happy I got to play this, though, because
1: uh, I was looking forward to it. and We never got
0: on the N64. Yeah, this was this was interesting as we are about to get into. What is also interesting uh, extremely interesting. That's is a word the plot to this game. Yep. <laughs> the plot. This game has a story. It sure does. Allegedly. Yep. It's there. So <sighs> Shane, how about what? you try to explain? <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll start out with Shane here yeah. and then we'll, we'll go to Willie.
1: Uh, what? Shane, what did you think? I'm sorry. You want me to, uh, explain this? No, no, I refuse. I will not do that. I will not be doing that at all. What is even happening? What what was happening? <laughs> the entire time I played this game, my wife was sitting next to me on the couch. She actually, she got home from work and I had just started it up. And she's like, oh, what are you playing? I've never seen that before. And I was like, ah, oh, it's Sin and Punishment. We're playing this for the for the show. It's this like, you know, rail shooter game from the N64. And she sat down next to me and watched my entire playthrough. And both of us, the entire time, every cutscene or pretty much almost every piece of dialogue, we were both kind of just looking at each other like, are we high? What the fuck is happening? What is anything? What are these people talking about? I was this is the most listen. I've never actually taken any sort of psychedelics or acid or anything like that in my life. But I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure I don't have to now because this was like this was like a fear and loathing in Las Vegas style. Bad trip just from like start to finish. Like who's who? What are their motivations? Why is anything like coherent? is maybe not a word I would use to describe Mm -hmm. this plot. That's all I'm saying. So, Willie, can you tell us what's going on? Yes, please enlighten me.
2: It reminds me a lot of the movie Akira. Mm. But I think it was kind of inspired by Akira, but it's even more obtuse. Yes. There's two humans who escape from a prison, and there's some kind of, like, evil power that is fighting humanity and, like, setting off Akira-esque, nuclear-esque bombs. And your person transforms into, like, a giant Gundam because they have, like, is it Achi's blood? Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. And Achi turns out to be, like, evil and wants to basically destroy the world and replace it.
1: With apparently, like, a, a, a different version of earth or yeah, something mimic, like
2: that the mimic earth. Yeah, yeah
1: the mimic earth right yeah so, so if that explanation helps anybody at home um to to realize just how like batshit crazy this plot actually is and how poorly it's communicated in the game
2: yeah i've played through it hundreds of times and i've I figured you know i'm gonna play through this game every day i'm gonna fucking be able to beat it 45 minutes, usually, I can do one playthrough, but I still don't fucking understand the whole thing. I think I only had to watch Akira like 10 times before I understood what was going on, but this game, yeah, it's out there.
1: This game is like the embodiment of that, I, I don't know who I am, I don't know where I am, all I know is that I must kill meme. That's that's what this game is. The
0: actual plot only makes it weirder. Great. Uh, there is some backstory. Sure. This game takes place in the near future of 2007. Humanity is struggling through a famine. So they genetically engineered these species to just be food, to be livestock as food, and they called them ruffians. The things you are fighting, because you're fighting against the ruffians, they're these like monster looking creatures. These are things that you are supposed that humans raise to eat. And... Uh, The ruffians apparently became sentient and decided to not want to be food.
1: So they started attacking the humans. I just feel like I need to cut in here for a second and ask, like, yeah, why why would you genetically engineer creatures for the sole purpose of food, but also give them the ability to be fucking lethal? Like what? I mean, like uh, ostensibly you could get killed by a cow. Like if you tried. But
2: they weren't supposed to learn how to think. I mean,
1: yes, it's still, like Skynet with animals. OK, but still, like y- you gave them the ability to murder things and just hoped that they would never figure out how. Like well, <laughs> Maybe they taste like crab and they wanted to make them look like well, crabs. Well, crabs are the ultimate yeah. form of evolution. So that's
2: true. even if they taste like crab. It's still a bad idea to make giant grasshoppers that can shoot bullets.
1: Yeah, exactly. I agree.
2: <laughs> it's probably not the best idea. The The reason you're fighting humans, because you fight
0: humans in this, uh, who have fantastic voice acting, by the way. Oh, uh, boy. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll get there. <laughs> the reason you're fighting them is because they, they are fighting the ruffians. And you're fighting them because they are oppressing everyone in Japan. So you're fighting against them because they're oppressing you, while also fighting the ruffians because they're upset about you trying to eat them. And I... Beyond that, I have no fucking clue what's going on. All right. I don't even know what's going on there. I only know that because I'm reading it on, on the Internet about how that's established. I, so who knows if that's even true? Because, I mean, it is the Internet. So if you just play this game cold, I will say this. This this is what's awesome about the writing. Uh, Shane already said it. He called it a bad trip. I call it a good trip huh. because something <laughs> about it is just like so uniquely, bizarrely awesome. That it just doesn't make sense. And you're just like, I don't even care anymore. This is the most. It's like watching a really bad B-movie. Yeah, just watching a really bad B-movie. And just soaking it all in and just enjoying it. It has a lot of B-movie vibes
2: from top to bottom. One that's so bad that it's good. And you want to keep watching like an action B-movie. And you're like, oh shit, this just happened. What the hell is going to come next? And then it's always something different next.
1: Yeah, this makes no sense. I would say, but that also implies that you're capable of following the plot, regardless of how bad it is. You can't follow fucking anything <laughs> in this game, yeah, like why did they cut open the dude's chest when he turned into
0: a monster and then they threw the girl in there, and now all of a sudden they're they're like this like morphed together thing, and then they aren't, and they go to New York City and they have a kid, and then they don't, and it's like, what is even happening? Yep The New
2: York was a psychic vision. Like a yeah, a dream trip. I don't know the cutting the person and going inside. I guess uh, I mean it worked in Attack on Titan. Why not here? This is Attack on Titan. Yeah, this kind is totally
0: of. Attack on Titan. Kind of, yeah. I think Attack on Titan stole from this game because the Cross dude turns Akira? into one of the ruffians. Yeah, yeah. This is Attack on Akira <laughs> or Akira on Titan. I don't know. I mean, when you think about it, the dude turns into one of the monsters you're fighting which is just like attack on Titan. And then he can go back and forth and becomes one with, I don't know. I don't even know. And then the person that's, that's making all the people ruffians is like the, the bad guy. It was something.
2: And then, uh, yeah, we haven't even really talked about gameplay, which itself is unique.
0: Well, oh, yeah, let's, let's get into that because I, I think I'm just lost on the plot. I think we're, I, there's no way we can spend time on that. So let's talk about gameplay. I'll kick this one off and I will say it is unique. I wish I had played this on an N64 controller because now after going through the brief history and knowing how you, they want you to hold it, like the, the middle tripod, your left hand on the D pad and your right hand on, on the middle tripod and the analog stick. And that's how you're supposed to play it with the N64 controller. And after playing this game, that makes a lot of sense. Now, when you try playing this on at least because I played on the Wii U with the pro controller, uh, I had to reconfigure it because it doesn't make sense. The reason you want a D pad and I don't know how you played it, Willie, and we'll get to how you played on the Wii U and your configuration is because when you it allows you to move back and forth. You can't do anything else but move back and forth on the screen because it's kind of like like Willie said, it's like a contrast. It's like the contrast scene in between levels where you you move vertically through it. it is exactly like that. So you can only move left and right. You can't duck. You can't you can jump, but you can't do anything with the up button. You can jump. You can double jump and you can shoot bullets. And it's actually once you start to get the hang of it and it will get take some time for you to get the hang of it. Oh, my God, is it so much fun? I it's
2: it's just it's like an action packed rail shooter. And then the same button that you use to shoot. If someone is close to you, let go of the button and tap it, and you swing a sword with the same button.
0: Yes, and you need to know how to use that, because there are are instances where you got to deflect, like, bullets and missiles back at the enemy, and that's extremely satisfying.
2: Uh Mm Uh-huh. You don't sound like it's satisfying, Willie. That was me. (laughs) No, for sure, that that first boss is awesome if you, like, lock onto the weapons with the, uh, you can switch your main bullets from lock-on mode or power mode. Yeah. And then if you're in a place where you can deflect, you use lock on and then it deflects the bullet right to where you're locked on to. That is awesome.
0: Yeah, it took me a while to realize that in order where your missile was going when you deflected it, depended on where your cursor was, it wasn't you just hit the hit the missile or hit the bullet or whatever, and it would just automatically go back to the enemy. No, it would it would land where the cursor was. And once I learned that, the game became way easier and and way better control. Mm hmm. And especially if you know how to dash and you do the, you know, the, the double movement. So what was your, what was your control layout for you, Willie? How did, how did you put it on the classic controller?
2: So yeah, the classic controller for the Wii is basically like a super Nintendo controller with a two offset analog sticks added onto it. And Mm -hmm. yeah, it was, I forget if it was the control pad or no, I think it was one analog stick to move the character, the other analog stick to aim a shoulder button for jump and a shoulder button for attack slash sword. And then it was one of the face buttons to switch. And that was about all you need. Yeah. How long did it take you to get used to controls? Oh, it took a while. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) I played through it like, you know, probably a dozen times before I started to like actually figure it out. And it's a lot about memorization too, because at its core, it's a game about getting a high score. And so it's a lot of yeah, it's an arcade game. Yeah, if you play it over and over, you can memorize it, and that's how you can do good at it. Basically, Shane,
0: you sound very hesitant to praise this game. Mm. So, well, what's what's going on,
1: man? You can you can tell us. Just, oh, uh, where do I start? Okay. Um, oh no. So I will start off by saying I can absolutely like unironically see how somebody would consider this game fun to play if it didn't feel like it was getting in its own damn way, like at every (laughs) possible opportunity. So the control scheme is awkward, and no, I don't think using an N64 controller is going to make it measurably better, and for a reason I'll get to in a second. Uh, For the record, I played it, like I said, on the Wii U, so I played with the uh, Pro Controller. And the one concession that I would make in, that I believe the N64 controller would be a superior like interface for this game is the button mapping for character movement. So it's, it's mapped to the C buttons, right? So left and right to move Mm -hmm. uh, on the N64 controller, which in a lot of other games, mapping stuff to the C buttons usually sucked, right?
2: No, that would be the control pad, right? It was control pad and center and they didn't use the C button side. That's what I thought. Well,
1: it's either, you could,
2: Yeah, it's either uh, or. okay. Yeah.
1: I mean, yeah. So either one works. I mean, I'm left-handed, so I would, if I was using it, I would have used the C buttons to move and left hand for the analog stick, but you could do either way. Um, But I I could see how that would be an improvement, either having the D-pad or even the C buttons uh, for one single reason, the double tap to dodge. So... Having the movement mapped to a second analog stick like I had, because, you know, why wouldn't you if you didn't necessarily know any better? Um, At least for me, trying to double tap an analog stick is super cumbersome, especially with just how, like, frenetic this game can get. Uh, And so I just kind of gave up on dodging altogether and just hoped that jumping around like a fucking maniac was going to be enough And I think that that was part of what made this experience maybe not great for me because I
2: think dodging is a very important part of of the the game mechanics. Yeah, actually, that makes me didn't really ever have a problem with dodging. I think you used the control pad on that Wii Classic controller Mm -hmm. rather than the analog. Or I think you could use both. Yeah, either or. Yeah. So the control pad did work better. Than the analog for dodging for sure yeah and
0: i i also would use the d-pad on the on the pro controller it's just that on the pro controller because it's offset beneath the analog stick it's it's not as comfortable to use so i can understand where you're coming from there
1: yeah yeah definitely and so that was sort of like a compromise i guess but not really being able to reliably dodge in the midst of combat really sucked I'll also just go ahead and say that aiming with an analog stick sucks, just full stop. <laughs> like, I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're used to playing these kind of games with a stick. It just sucks. Like, and it's made worse by, like, how fast paced this game is. So I always felt like I was just lagging behind the action, trying to, like, slowly move my aiming reticle across the screen with the stick all the time. And then, of course, that, you know, don't even get me started on accuracy about that. I, I've gone on record as... <laughs> with that before. And honestly, I feel like this game would have been like a thousand percent more fun for me to play. If I had just set it up with like a keyboard and a mouse, like that would have been a much more intuitive control experience. And I felt like it would have been so much smoother. And you know, they did try to compensate for this, right? Because like Willie, you brought up like the aim style swapping mechanic, right? Yeah. And that works. Okay. But I never really felt like I got into a good like spot with it like i when i had the auto locking on i felt like i was missing a lot of other enemies and even to get it to auto lock sometimes you had to be like very particular with where you're aiming and then when i had it swapped to like the free aim i just felt like i couldn't hit the broadside of a fucking barn so like it <laughs> there was like no good in between
2: i don't know each different section of the game is basically set up it from playing through it, it's set up to be optimized for a certain one. Mm-hmm. So, like, with the bugs at the beginning, if you know exactly where they're coming, you don't want to use the auto-aim because that d- does less damage and it won't do enough to kill them. So you got to right. be prepared for them to come out and have their patterns memorized to take them out. But on other areas, yeah. like on the ship, if you want to lock on or kill, like, some of the missile launchers, you got to lock on them and... Not necessarily so that you can shoot them, but you lock on to what you want to kill with their missiles. Maybe you lock on to like something bigger, take that out with the missiles and then take out the missile launchers. And then you swap back to the to the other aim to do more damage when the guys on the jet skis come out. It's like there's a there's a strategy for each enemy, but there's no way to know what to do unless, you know, trial and error and memorize where they're coming from.
1: And I think that's that's the big thing right there. I think you just hit it on the head, which is this entire game is all about trial and error. And that extends especially to the boss encounters, because um, there's at least a couple that come to mind, one being that annoying little hopping creature on the posts or whatever the hell that was dude that was easy
2: I, yeah i always hear people complain about that but that's a piece of cake you just gotta jump and swing your sword when he's right in front of you
1: yeah right yeah if you think to do that or know <laughs> to do that which i did not so i spent a whole bunch of time like i actually failed that encounter i think twice because i ran out of time because i didn't uh-huh. do enough damage to him just because i didn't, I don't know, I guess I didn't intuit what I was supposed to do.
2: The lion was, when I first played it, that lion at the beginning, I got stuck Mm. on that for a while.
1: See, the one that I actually got stuck on was when you're falling in the sky and you have to, like, hit the, what is it, the meteor or something before it hits
2: the ground? That was a pain in the ass. That's my least favorite spot. That is the one, like, I'm trying to play through it on One Life Without Dying. That's the one spot. That will stick you up. That that in the last boss. Oh yeah.
1: But. Oh, I hated that. I got so frustrated because you have to uh-huh. be like you have to mash that melee attack consistently and so quickly that if you miss like once, then and before it's that just, it's done.
2: Even before you get up to it, you have to consistently track it with your cursor with mm-hmm. the non-tracking reticle, so you do more damage, and you have yeah. to hit it yep. for like a I don't know thirty second flight, forty second flight. And then when you get up, you have to mash the sword.
1: And the thing that I noticed is that the, the speed at which you're required to mash that like melee <laughs> attack, you can't like even with the N64 controller, because I'm sure most people listening to this know how that feels. Right. It's like a it's like a gun trigger. You can't just hold that naturally and move your finger like pressing the Z button. Your your finger doesn't go that fast. Like I, I was sitting there no. with that pro controller and I had That's to hold point. it in one hand and then take my other hand and just like slap the button as fast as I could. Exactly.
2: That's what I did too. I I didn't put my one hand on the side. And when I got to the end of that and I just like smack it really fast, (laughs) smack the shoulder button. (laughs) I'd like that sound effect by the way. It's hot.
1: (laughs) That was good. Somebody's like stirring macaroni.
0: (laughs) See, this is, this is where I'm going to have a bit of a disagreement with you guys. I didn't have any of these issues. Now I did have an issue with the meteor boss, but in terms of taking out these bosses, I think I'm maybe more than with Willie than Shane here. I think the game does a really good job of teaching you how to use the tools at your disposal. I absolutely disagree. 100%. We can disagree. We can disagree. I think it did because it it gives you enough time that if you look at the boss's life bar and it shows you, it will let you know if you're not doing enough damage. So there's an example of this when you're when you're chasing something through a tunnel and if you keep shooting at it, you're going to realize why isn't this boss's life bar going down? And you keep running into these things that are going down the tunnel that you shoot at. They die really quickly. But then I realized, okay, this thing's life isn't going down. What else can I do to to harm it? And so I was like, well, I have my sword attack. So I started hitting these things with the sword uh, to the boss and it started doing a lot more damage. So the game does give you hints that if it's not being damaged in the way you think it should be damaged, that there is another method to do it. And that that method generally is not very difficult to find out if you know the game's core mechanics. The only time I had a like I couldn't figure out for the life of me what to do, and I still don't think I'm doing it right, was at the very final boss. And then I think I finally figured it out. I'm I'm not sure. Uh, I mean, Willie, you're the (laughs) expert. You let me know is instead of using the power gun, because I was using the power gun the entire game, I never used the lock on for anything until I got to the very last boss. And then I could not beat it with the lock on one. I had to I mean, with the with the with the manual gun, I had to use the lock on gun. And then once they use the lock on gun, the final boss is almost a breeze. But like, yes, the game does. I think the game does a fantastic job of letting you know the tools that you have at your disposal. When to use the sword, how to use the sword, what situations are there, even with the audio cue that it gives you when the sword becomes available to to use. And it's kind of like the game telling you, yeah, you got to use it. So I I I actually think it did a really good job. I didn't have to slap it <laughs> the the trigger like you guys were were talking about. I was able to make it through just fine. Now I played it on easy. Maybe it's different on normal, but uh, on easy mode I did not have
1: those problems. Yeah, I played it on easy too, and I still ran into these issues. I don't know. I I don't feel like the the game yeah. does this fantastic job of explaining or telegraphing like the things that you're supposed to do. It to me it was very much a Well, we have a very incredibly painfully specific way that we want you to do this encounter. And if you don't do it exactly the way the developers intended you to do it, then you're going to fucking fail and then you'll just have to try over again. Like to me, that's not that's not telling the player like that's not hinting at what you should do. That's just fucking die and figure it out.
2: Right. That's what happened to me on that uh, lion boss at the beginning. Once you know what to do, it's easy. But at first I was trying to kill it by just shooting it and dodging the bullets. Right. I didn't know that I had to run up to it and hit it with a sword and mm-hmm. kill it by knocking it off a cliff rather than taking all its energy down. I was trying to take its energy down. and i did the
1: exact same thing yeah
2: after maybe a dozen tries back in 2010 i like looked it up online and said oh okay i'm not trying to like do a gamer flex here because i'm sure both of
0: you could kick my ass in a in a souls like or elden ring or something like that but when i figured out i wasn't doing damage to the guy within like the first five seconds i was like i want to see what the sword does and then i saw it reflect back it it does it gives you cues i just i disagree i have to disagree.
1: No, I mean, that's fair. I don't know. I guess if if it was giving cues, then they were just completely lost on me (laughs) because I just felt like I was bumble fucking my way through trying to figure out how to finish this game most of the time.
0: So let's move on to how this game looks. It's an N64 game. This is going to be fun. So, uh, Willie, how about you? You start us off on this one. What do you think of the graphical presentation?
2: All right. Let me say that when it's in action and you're fighting and running and shooting stuff, it looks really good. Like the enemies when they're far away, the bugs, the robots, all the ruffians. I mean, it looks pretty decent. And But then when you get to the cutscenes, <laughs> and it's the same character models and there's like. A forearm that's made out of four polygons and it juts through other <laughs> elbows, it's definitely not pretty. I mean, you can tell what's going on and that these are people, but yeah, the close ups with the N64 graphics don't hold up. But in action, it works wonderfully. Mm. Shane,
1: yeah, I, I think I actually have to echo most of Willie's sentiments there. Um, the, the character models definitely look like emaciated like muppets for sure <laughs> yeah but having said that that is a concession that i think treasure made on purpose to get the game to run as well as it does and and see so that's the thing is like looking at this game now it's probably people are like eh, it's okay whatever it's nothing special it's an old ass polygonal game fine um but i think credit where credit's due i mean uh, treasure pushed the limits of the n64 hardware on this one and got this to do a lot of things that other competing consoles even were not doing at the time and this was as you said towards the sort of end of life of the n64 so they were really squeezing a lot of graphical fidelity and performance out of this and I think to get it to look the way that it does, as like flashy and you know bombastic as the game is, and run as smoothly as it does, I do think that that is a technical achievement. So I, I do have to give them props for that. So, so yeah, like in the midst of combat and everything, like this game is—it's fun to look at. It, it just—it yeah. looks great, actually.
2: Mm-hmm. Some parts of this game are fucking awesome to behold, mm. like. The whole stage around the aircraft carriers, where you're—that's a beautiful level. Yeah, uh, I love. That's like one of my favorites. And you, you fight all these airplanes around the aircraft carriers. The guys on skidoo's boats, all the missile launchers, the the dude's magic cat, and then you fight the dude and knock him <laughs> through the front, and then you fight him on top of a an airplane mid air, and then you fight a giant like space gun up until that giant space gun shoots the bullets. That's my favorite. And then comes the worst part of the game. (laughs)
1: Uh, Yeah. But yeah, you're absolutely right. Like this is like arcade level presentation in a home console. Um, And for, for a console that has gotten a really bad rap for, you know, maybe not aging all that well. (laughs) And uh, so I, I think that they did a pretty decent job there, you know, character models, notwithstanding.
0: Yeah, I would just pretty much be echoing what both of you said, because I mean, even I went to the environments, I would say the environments are, are hit or miss. I think there's a, a lot of that typical N64 trademark ish graphical styling mm-hmm. where a lot of browns and a lot of grays for a lot of the interior parts. Nothing gets really too exotic or off the wall. It's just it's it's very alien. Like you have that very kind of, I want to say, organic atmosphere to a lot of what's going on. You see a lot of that with bugs and was was t- taking from the ruffians and stuff like that. That being said, like Willie said, the aircraft carrier level is is just stunning. I also like the the idea of the last level where you're trying to protect the Earth from mm-hmm. another Earth. I think that looked really cool. Kind of a mission commander. What's the one with the missiles? Mi- missile command. Missile command. It's yeah. a, like a missile command throwback. I really got a feel for that, and it was it's like a real big homage to just arcade games in general. And it it is an arcade game, and it translates that into the way it looks. Another thing I really liked, and I don't know if you noticed the shame, mm. but the Wii U version looks really pretty. I mean, it really brings out the flaws of the N64. <laughs> it's it's hardware just because of the shading that's on the characters, the the way they look. They looked really aged, but they are really up and It looks clean. Yeah, I don't think you could get that on on a standard definition look, uh, at least on, a, on an HDTV, because I know that the Wii U has some difficulties with that. Uh, particularly with Wii games. But I think like, yeah, they they put some effort into the Wii U version of this, including translating a lot of the scores, which the N64 version was all in Katakana. I don't know if that's the same way with the Wii version, but like everything's in English, except for the translation at the bottom.
2: Yeah, that's crazy that this was a Japanese only release on Nintendo 64 with an entirely English uh, voice track with Japanese subtitles.
0: Yeah, and we'll get into that.
2: Okay. All right. We'll get into it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Because we're, we're right about there. <laughs> in fact, yeah, let's just let's just roll into music and sound, because I think we covered everything with the graphics. So, Willie, really I hate to cut you off and then say, like,
2: let's roll right into it.
0: <laughs> Stop. Oh, now what go. was I saying? Now go. <laughs>
2: it was never released in English or in the Western market, even though it was in English. It seems like they wanted to release it in the Western market. By going that route unless they were going for like you know the the movie feel of like watching american movies with subtitles yeah but it's so anime that that seems weird to to do it that way you had a couple games like that uh
0: that didn't come over well i can only think of one really but i know there was some some other ones deep fear for the saturn was another game like that where the entire game was recorded in english but I mean, there was a PAL release, of course, but it never came out in the United States. Uh, so y- you did have games where they they did this weird thing where they recorded the game in English and never came out in the West because you have to remember, like, I think Resident Evil in Japan is all ha- all has English voice acting as well. Like all, all the voice acting we got here in the United States, that, that was the same that was in Japan. So it's it is interesting. It, it is an interesting trend. But that being said, the voice acting here is awful. It's <laughs> a it is total dumpster fire yes Uh and amazing because of it Uh, i i don't know if you share my sentiment but i i I love it because it's so bad i do it's like house
2: of the dead level camp almost
0: it's worse it's worse (laughs) i love it worse than house of the dead i don't know yes I would say so. I I would agree. But
1: like House of the Dead was to me, House of the Dead is that like it's so bad that it's good. Like, you know, B movie, schlocky, terrible line reading. I I don't I don't think this was this felt like they put someone who had never seen a microphone before into a booth. And I don't know, I it didn't it didn't have the same feel for me. I don't know. It just felt cringy the, the entire time. I loved it. That's why I loved it. I love the cringe.
0: I live for the cringe. <laughs> Give me the cringe. Willie, here's why it's worse than House of the Dead. And again, and when I mean worse, I mean, I like it more. OK, because it is worse objectively is because it seems like they are trying to take themselves more seriously, like there is actually an effort to try and tell the player something through some conveyance of plot, something meaningful. And it's just the, the way the voice acting is executed makes me take this not seriously at all. I had to crack up, especially (laughs) when you hear lines like you have my blood or something like that. It's just like, what is even first of all, with a bonkers ass plot that they want you to take seriously with horrible voice acting. It's the complete package. It is the complete package and nothing tops that.
2: Yeah. Wait, are you my child? What year is this?
0: Yes, it's great. I love it. (laughs) I didn't know that Iron was supposed to be was supposed to be a woman in the game either. Like it was Saki and Iron were like yeah. man and woman. So it was like, Mommy, I'm like,
1: oh, OK, <laughs> we had that same exact moment. Brianna was just like, wait a minute, that's a woman. It's like, <laughs> uh, apparently, I don't know. I'm just finding this out as well.
2: So well, then I noticed the spaghetti string
1: straps. I mean, listen, man, it's Japanese game. That doesn't mean
2: anything. That's the, the gutter punk Akira aesthetic. Iron reminds me a lot of Kaori. I need to go watch Akira again. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> can only remember
0: Kaneda and Tetsuo. <laughs> I love it. I love the voice acting. It's so, it's so bad.
2: Ugh. Uh, I enjoyed the voice acting. The sound effects are good. The music, I mean, it's good background music. It doesn't really stand out to me.
0: Yeah, we never talked about the music. And I, I, that's because I 100% agree with you, Willie. It doesn't, it doesn't stand out. I, yeah, I think the main reason for it is because you're focused on everything than the music, other than the music. Yeah. With all the action that's going on on the screen, it's hard for me to like jam out and just really get into it. I'm like, I don't want to fucking die. Please don't kill me.
2: And it's never repeating patterns. Yeah. It's like, there's this part of the game and then the next part of the game and then the next part of the game. Yeah. And everything's always changing and the next pattern is different and there's not, it's not like you get into a groove. You got to anticipate what's coming next.
1: Yeah. Yeah. What would you think of the music, Shane? Uh, yeah, I, I think we all had the same thoughts, actually. It, it's a lot of like, it's, it's a lot of stuff that you would probably hear out of just like any sort of generic arcade cabinet. It's like a bunch of like guitar wanking butt rock or like electro synth stuff, which is fine. Like it, it actually works for this type of game and it, you know, it, it sets the tone appropriately. So it's not necessarily a knock on it or anything. It's just not like it's not anything particularly memorable. Like I'm not going to go track down the sin and punishment soundtrack and listen to it, you know, in the car or something. Um, But it's, it's fine, which, you know, this is another reason that I'm actually, and maybe I missed something. So maybe somebody can keep me honest here, but I am genuinely surprised that this was not an arcade game. This this was just exclusive to home consoles, right? Correct.
2: It was never an arcade game. That's insane to me yeah absolutely it's an arcade game. even the length of it too once you get it down you can beat it in less than an hour you can do that in an arcade game yeah
1: even me being bad yeah. at the game i think i did it in about an hour and 20 minutes or so uh-huh.
0: yeah when you think about it there's a lot of space harrier here and a lot of wild guns
1: mm-hmm.
0: yeah. yeah yeah which is which is right up my alley and i love that even though i'm terrible at space harrier and wild guns i did not find this game too too terribly difficult i probably would if i put it on normal but
2: so can i ask you too what was your favorite part of the game favorite part i would say the aircraft carrier is mine
1: yeah actually yeah i I was trying to think if there was something else that would top that i I will say that i kind of felt like the carrier section went on for maybe a little too long Yeah, I would agree. that. But overall, uh, yeah, no, I think just the varied mechanics and everything keeping interesting and just like the dynamic nature of that level. It's just like you could play like just that level. And I think you'd have a really great time. Like that's a perfect showcase of what I think this game does
2: right. And you can do that in practice mode. You can just go play that one stage.
1: Well, see, there you go. And yeah, That, that is how I want to
2: experience this game if I ever played it again. (laughs)
1: <laughs> Just go play that level.
2: <laughs> I think my favorite part is destroying the space gun. That's one part where you got to like strategically switch between like the lock on, which is weaker, but you need that to take out some of the guns. But then you got to switch to the stronger one in certain areas taken out up until the ship fires. And that's probably my least favorite part. Mm. Yeah. And the the final boss where it turns into... Like Space Invaders, basically, and you just got to shoot all the things coming from Mimic Earth to Earth, and it turns into a whole different game. Yeah. That's pretty sweet. That took me a while. I had to play that a couple times to memorize the pattern to be able to get through it. That's a fun boss fight. Uh-huh. It, it really is, once you learn it. It's, it's a lot of fun. I mean, I, I
1: actually really disliked that one, but that was only, be- <laughs> it was only because of the controls. I I hated Uh trying to aim with the analog stick with something where it was asking you to be that precise and that fast. If I was if I had a different control scheme, totally different story.
0: I will I will say moving the analog. I will say the sometimes the cursor is too slow. Mm Yes. Yep. And I will say that when I'm pressing left on the analog stick, sometimes it went down and left. I was not too happy. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about some miscellaneous stuff. Before we get into how this game holds up, I see, Willie, you already talked about your fact about the uh, all English voice acting. Yeah. And uh, so I'll get into some fun facts here. So in development, Treasure considered implementing a sensor control that Nintendo had in development themselves, not Treasure. Nintendo did. Uh, They ultimately decided Treasure did against using it in favor of what the game ended up using with the N64 controller, just traditional control format format. However, the controller that they were thinking about using would eventually end up being the Wiimote Mm. for the, of course, aforementioned, aptly named Wii. Mm -hmm. So there you go. It was in development as early as 2000. They just waited a little while.
2: You would think that a Wii remote style control, I really enjoyed that for shooters like that, like Geometry Wars. You would Mm -hmm. think that would work better for a game like this. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah, maybe that means we should go play star successor. I was just thinking that actually, like maybe I would enjoy that one more.
0: (laughs) Right. Here's the next one. Uh, Sin and Punishment's working title was Glass Soldier, uh, as your protagonist was originally supposed to be extremely fragile. They ended up changing the name to something that they could use kanji for instead of katakana. So kanji is the very complicated letters. Uh, that represent words where katakana is like uh, letters that well they're they're symbols that represent sounds that are associated with foreign words to Japan. So like glass soldier would be represented in English as glass soldier in katakana. so there's that. And that was so the game could stand out for most other titles using kanji instead of katakana because most Japanese games use katakana. So they drew their inspiration for the game name sin is punishment, sin and punishment from Perfect Dark's Japanese name, which was Akato Kuro, or Red and Black. And they wanted to add a subtitle to the game to make it sound less obscure, and that would also be using kanji. So the Nintendo dude, the supervisor, Yamagami, uh, proposed the title Chikyo no Keisusa. Shousa. Chikyo no Keisousa. Chikyo no Keisousa. Keisousa. There it is. Thank you, Willie which directly translate to Earth Successor. But the kanji for chikyu, or Earth, was to be read as hoshi, or star. So the Japanese title of this game, the official Japanese title of the N64 game, in English, is Sin and Punishment Star Successor, which, as we've already said, is the name of its sequel for Western audiences for, for the Wii game. And it was called, like, Universal Successor in Japan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So there's some miscellaneous facts.
2: There you go. I couldn't get into that one for some reason. I played it a few times. I've got it, but I haven't even ever beaten Star Successor. It's also a much longer game. It's
0: like six, seven hours. Yeah. Okay. So as we are want to do, as I have used again, as I'm becoming want to do, (laughs) we ask ourselves if this game holds up today. Willie, you are our guest. So as... As tradition, you will have the final say on whether or not this game holds up today. Shane, mm. you go ahead and go first and you tell us what you think.
1: Sure. Having gone back and looked at some of the reviews for folks who like imported this over to our side of the pond back in the day, I um I don't get it. I, I don't understand the praise that was just heaped onto this game, like at all. It's incredibly short, and yet somehow still feels too long with how clunky the controls make the entire experience feel. In many ways, the difficulty seems to come more from overcoming the bad control scheme and having to sort of just like, intuit your way to the expected path to victory on many encounters, and not from genuine challenge necessarily. And finally, you can't even really lean on the game's story as it's just a sort of nonsensical collection of exposition dumps that are loosely strung together in what could, at best, be vaguely considered a plot. So if you really want to play like a run and gun game or a rail shooter, you just you have so many other superior options, in my opinion. You go go play Panzer Dragoon or Space Harrier or Akari Warriors, or hell, you could even go dive into Treasure's own back catalog and play Gunstar Heroes. You're gonna have a much better time there. I promise.
2: Akari Warriors?
0: <sighs> yeah, wow. <laughs> Ikari. Wow. Wow. <laughs> wow. Look, Shane, every once in a while, it's okay to be wrong, which is why I'm here to make it right. Uh, okay, yeah, please do. Sin- <laughs> yeah, there we are. Uh, Sin and Punishment is a game that definitely holds up, and it will take you a while to get used to the controls. The controls themselves are very unintuitive, however, I do think the game does a very good job of teaching you how to play it, especially if you go through the tutorial prior to playing through the game. I think the tutorial that you can play from the menu on the start screen does a very good job of having you adjust to what you can and can't do, and then the way that the game initially throws enemies at you teaches you how to play it correctly. After the first level, once I got into a groove, I just never stopped having a smile on my face. But the way that I could play this game, the destruction, the maneuverability, just dodging, it's its a shmup, it's a rail shooter, it's challenging, uh, it's also rewarding in every sense of uh, that I could think of. It rewards credits quite generously, uh, provides that, that incentive by keeping that score up and has a plot that is just so utterly ridiculous I couldn't stop laughing and I was addicted to just how stupid and brilliant it was at the same time. I highly recommend Sin and Punishment for you just to go check out. It's worth the hour and a half to just enjoy just how stupid and utterly nonsensical the plot is just for that alone. And once you get used to the controls you will have you have an amazing game there as well. Uh, Just like any other treasure game. it's. Very obtuse in the way it delivers it, but once you get it, it's, it's hard to put it down.
2: Willie? Uh, yeah, I'm with Chris here. I think it holds up. You should give it a try. You know, one or two tries. You get, you get the hang of the controls. It's a unique dual stick shooting, moving control scheme. But once you get into it, yeah, it's just fun all the way through. The game's not very long. Everything is varied. I mean, we didn't even talk about the side scrolling stage. No, there's there's just so much to it that you fly through so quick, and then you're onto the next thing, and looks out great in motion, uh, whatever controller you play it with. I listened to in order to refresh my memory on some of these things. I listened to another podcast that I'm not going to name because it was one I've never listened to before, and they were kind of dipshits. But it took them. They were saying that it, it's like uh, like three hours to get through. Ugh. You guys said about no. an hour and a half, two hours, and here I'm saying 45 minutes. So, but that's after memorizing it. I spent months memorizing it before I could get through the whole thing in 45 minutes. Yeah,
0: you're going to die. Yes, you will die. But that's where it is. So two of us say it holds up, and one of us says it doesn't. That's a rare split. And to be so divisive about it and be, to be so set into it as well, there's not like any slight disagreement.
2: So like, that's the first one you've had like that in a long time, Shane.
1: Yeah, I, I think so.
2: But on my, on my approve, I do want to put a caveat on there that you have to be into arcade high score games. And you have to want to like, if you get into it and figure it out, you will have to want to try it over and over again. And that's where you really get your enjoyment. It's not from the first few playthroughs. It's once you get into it and you redo the same levels and memorize it, that's when it gets really fun. I would wholeheartedly agree with that. Yeah, definitely. You have to have an arcade mindset going into
1: it. Mm. I think normally we're, we're able to like make concessions about some things and come to like a nice middle ground when we have these discussions and we don't necessarily line up on our thoughts. This no, this is one hyper specific hill I am willing to fucking die on. I, <laughs> I do not like this game at all. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> it's not for everyone. I, I can
0: treasure games usually are not. They are very divisive in terms of whether people love them or not. You have mega fans or you have people that are just like, I don't get it. And this is a, just this is a treasure game. This is exactly what they do. They make very quirky, unique games that don't apply to everybody. And some are classics and some aren't. And this one, it's
2: the same way. <laughs> this is one that applies to me. Exactly. Absolutely.
0: All right. So that wraps this episode up. Thank you for joining us, Willie. It's a pleasure to have you back on the show. I uh, loved have you, having you here and for another rail shooter, too. So, you know, keeping
2: this thematic, I guess. <laughs> yeah, sweet. When are you going to do House of the Dead too, Or have you done that already? We have not. We have not. Something we definitely need to think about. I'll throw that in my Wii to come back and join you when you do. Nice. Nice.
0: Uh, what do you have out there? Let the, Remind the people where you're at and where they can find you in the world of the internet.
2: Tell the people what I'm trying to tell the people. I'm from the <laughs> podcast Grand Rapidians Play Video Games. Me and Ginger talk about video games, real life XP, review beverages. And you can find us everywhere at our link tree, L-I-N-K-T-R dot e slash Grand Rapidians or search all your podcast providers for Grand Rapidians play video games. We hope to hear from you or wait, we hope you hear from us. How's that work? <laughs> <laughs> yes. A little bit of column
1: A, a little bit of column B. All right. And as far as we are concerned, if you happen to be listening to this, then you've already found us. So we're glad that you're here. We hope that you stick around. We hope you've enjoyed this. And if you'd like to engage with the show in uh, other fashions besides just listening to us talk about stuff, uh, you can do that. And we also make it easy with our very own link tree. I like that that's sort of made its way through our little community. By the way, like suddenly everybody has link trees, and I think it's fantastic. It's great. But we can be found at uh, linktree slash retro hangover. So you can go there, and you'll get your nice little curated menu of buttons that will spirit you away to various and sundry things, as long as they are related to us. So if you'd like to check out our socials, you can do that. We have our Patreon as well as our merch store if you'd like to support the show in that fashion. And we also have our YouTube channel and our Twitch streams at which Chris is going to tell you a little bit more about.
0: So, everybody, you can head over to twitch.tv slash retro hangover and we play a game of sorts. I'm probably still playing Lunar Eternal Blue. Forever. Uh, If not, yeah, forever and ever. But uh, if it's not me, Shane's usually playing something far more relevant and more fun. Not to say that Lunar isn't relevant and fun. I might uh, digress I am digressing <laughs> here. But just go to twitch.tv slash retro hangover and you will find us there at Sundays at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. That's Sundays 9 p.m. Eastern time at twitch.tv slash retro hangover for like the fifth time. And we hope to see you there. The discussions are fun, the people are amazing, and we always have a good time. Shane? All right. Well, I suppose.
1: With all of that being said, until next time,
0: play with your ruffian stakes joystick.
1: Shane here with a quick message. You know, the one rule Chris and I have always gone by regarding advertisements is this, it has to be something we use and can personally vouch for. If you know me, you know, I love coffee and Bones Coffee Company has been my go-to for home brewing for quite some time now. Their small batch beans come in an impressive variety of flavors like Mint Invaders from Chocolate Space, or Electric Unicorn, which I swear tastes exactly like Fruity Pebbles. And the best part? No added sugar or calories involved, just natural flavors infused right into the beans themselves. Build your own sample pack of five 4-ounce bags to find out which flavors speak to you. Or jump in headfirst with full 12-ounce bags. They've even got K-Cups. Step up your homebrew game with Bones Coffee by visiting bit.ly B-I-T slash rhpbones. That's bitly dot slash